Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past decade. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Tyler Hartford. Um, yeah, to start things off, what have you been watching recently? Uh, yeah, I'm still here uh, coming to you from the 1970s. Mm, uh, s- still <laughs> keep keeping up the uh, role I'm on watching, hitting some blind spots uh, from the decade. Uh, watch Network, that good old Sidney Lumet. Mm. Uh, strong picture. Um, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I finally caught up with one of my dad's favorite movies. And love that. Uh, J- Jack Nicholson, he's he's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been up to still. Yeah. yeah. Are you still, like, forming a list of 70s to, to go through? Or are you just like, oh, this is streaming here? And Um... I've been going through the AFI 100 and just hitting all the 70s ones off that, which obviously is kind of limiting because it's their list, which came out in 2007, now seems yes pretty outdated. Uh, um, but that's still what I've been going off of. I'd like to see them updated at some point. They've always like talked about updating, but it's never come to fruition. Yeah. Well, that was the second iteration of the list. The first one was in, like, 97 and then 07, and you would think they would do it again, but uh, Mm -hmm. we'll see. Yeah. Um, And plus, like, there's always movies outside of America you could go to in the 70s, too, that's, like... Well, I mean, it's the AFI list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just just saying, like, (laughs) reach your limit uh, on AFI. Yeah, well, I'm but... thinking maybe after AFI, then I go deeper and do the sight and sound list, Whoa. which is yeah. a, a way bigger yeah. ordeal. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned these lists because I know this this movie um, topped like top ten, top twenty on the BFI of the 21st century. Uh, I remember oh. like that was that was a list that I used to follow. Like, oh wait, there's so many here that I had and hadn't heard before. Uh, in like 2016, I think it came out. So right in the middle of the decade. Recently, I discovered this really cool music documentary called Summer's Day, or, or Jazz on a Summer's Day. And it's just like the coolest uh, musicians uh, playing in Newport, Rhode Island uh, in this in like a few days, in, like a week in July. It's just like, you know, Diana Washington and uh, Louis Armstrong um, it's like an hour, maybe an hour, ten minutes. Super short. It's on Canopy. When is that from? Was, it's like the fifties. It's like uh, late fifties. Uh-huh. Um, That's cool. Yeah, I was looking. I was looking to use up my last Canopy credits. I was like, perfect. <laughs> this is like this is, it's on. You know, last week we uh, we had Colin mention about phone booth like being that thing you you need to like watch right before bed, and it's like that was that was this for me this episode. Nice. Yeah, Canopy's good. They they got good yeah. stuff on there. I believe yeah. uh, today's film is on there as well. Yes. Also on like a similar brand hoopla. It's on. Right. Uh, but Calvin, if you do, you have anything that you've been watching recently? Oh yeah, yeah. I've been uh, getting deep into Sundance. Um, I've oh, been watching uh, Riotsville, USA, and Jihad Rehab are two of note. That'll be big documentaries at the end of this year. Um, Jihad Rehab's all about, like, uh, 
reforming terrorists who go into a Saudi Arabian like uh, rehabilitation camp and kind of follows their drama. I thought there'd be more interpersonal dramas, but uh, most of it's systemic. And how do they return to society after they've been uh, rooted through all these systems and uh, gone through uh, imprisonment in Guantanamo and then been transferred out there? So there's a lot of depth there. That's a really good doc. Um, and uh, Riotsville, USA is about uh, like this model city they made and the police practiced uh, what they do in the case of a riot in the 60s. Um, it's kind of a simulation, but also shows us how our police were militarized in the United States. So uh, very interesting docs there. Uh, and some features, just getting deep in the Sundance. Awesome. Is, uh, uh, yeah, we're in the thick this, of it right now. Yeah. yeah, is this your second time doing Sundance? Yeah, I'm, I've done a lot of festivals. I, I did a couple from Sundance last year, but it being virtual is very accessible. I usually hit all the Seattle festivals, the SIF, uh, a lot of our, our smaller things. Um, but I, I try to maintain a Northwest perspective where I can and, and stick close to home. But uh, I'll take the opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Especially with the accessibility. I feel like oh, a yeah. lot of folks are taking advantage. This week I'll... I'll be watching a few screeners as well. Um, yeah, and Sundance is usually like the place where a lot of big docs that get gain a lot of attention throughout the year uh, have their start. I'm also so doing cool Slam it. Dance. If you've heard of that, that's like yes. a alternative that rooted up in the '90s out of like people that just couldn't get into Sundance because it's so it became so corporate and such like a Park City um, like foundational thing of like if you're in the industry. You could get in here. But what about the newcomers who are uh, still making exciting um, mm -hmm. contemporary work that's just a, a little bit too vanguard? I think that's worth looking at, too. So uh, yeah. I'll just splitting my time and, and looking at that after. For sure. I I, uh, I don't even know why this first sprang to mind. One of my favorite movies, uh, Greg Matola's Day Trippers, was premiering at um, Slam Dance in 98, I think. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even too sure of the um, like qualifications. I think it's just whatever has a place where, there. Where's yeah. that out of? It's also Park City. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, they just uh, sprung up in the same place, same exact time. Also, mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> I'm sure much it's very thing. accommodating to everyone who has to review it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It's almost like when a community college like opens right next to like a giant university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a cool so, deal. I love festival yeah. life. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I skipped. Uh, like you said, you you uh, try to make a point of supporting uh, your local festival, Seattle. I try yeah. to do the same with Chicago, uh, but I skipped last year just because I was like, eh, with the pandemic and everything going on, I can I can skip a year. Uh, but they didn't I would go love virtual. To resume. Um, I I think it was like kind of hybrid, like they would do both, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I'll just wait and uh, go next year because it's in October. Um, and. Every October, I was, like, just watching a bunch of festival stuff, and I was like, this October, I'm doing horror. I'm, I'm doing it finally, yeah. so. And you, uh, you did that, that's right, you did that marathon at the music box. The, 
Yes, the 24 I, I don't hour. Know how you could do that? Yes. 12 movies Sick in 24 out. hours. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was intense. I've never tried anything like that. I guess I can't speak to it, but it's just the idea of it's so daunting. I so think I've done like six, seven movies in a day at Sith before, and that was like beyond my limit. Just, mm. just totally pressed at that point and had to get home. Yeah, yeah. yeah everyone right. has their limit. Well, yeah. you did all twelve. Yeah, it was a special. Wow. Like they lock. Well, they don't lock you in the theater, but like. <laughs> <laughs> May as well. <laughs> they lock the doors. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody yeah. leaves. But yeah, I stayed the whole time. No food. Yeah. Started at noon and ended at noon the next day. It was pretty wild. Wow. That's crazy. You stayed the whole Walked time. Walked away man. a new man. Yeah. I did. I, I, I'll be honest. I, I was dozing in and out uh, through a few of them, like in the wee hours. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Impressive yeah. stuff. Yeah, seriously. I I saw our movie today at SIF originally. Like It was almost like my wow. entry into festivals because I was living right next to SIF uh, down by the Space Needle out here. And uh, I hadn't really wandered over there. I was still used to, like, the multiplexes. And I saw Under the Skin was coming. And it was, like, a life-changing moment for me. I'm sure we'll get into it. But I was so incredibly inspired. And I didn't realize there was, like, this subsection until, like, 2014 of, like, where all this indie cinema is actually being directed. Like, toward, like, right next to my house, right? Like, I had this amazing opportunity. I didn't even know it right across the street. So, uh, just... I was enraptured from there and pretty much lived at the indie, indie cinema for the next decade. Yeah. And, and, you know, Calvin, this is the perfect place to be because that was a great transition. Um, you know, at the movie at hand today with Under the Skin, uh, before we get there, we would love to know your uh, your first time falling in love with film and uh, where you gained this, this, uh, this passion. There was this thing like I was... I'd always stay up too late just watching movies as a kid, but, uh, you know, I was about 13 and there was a showing of Raging Bull and it was just showing over and over again on Turner Classic Movies. And I just sat up, watched it and went right back. And that same year I found Eric Romare's Claire's Knee, which is my other all-time favorite movie after Under the Skin, um, which kind of showed me that movie making could also be like novelization, like, uh, the director as a writer, I really understood at that point. I understood the auteur or authorship of uh, someone's direction and feeling about a movie. So uh, between Eric Romare and Martin Scorsese, I got an early start and was hooked from there. Also, Groundhog Day, pretty foundational for me. As mm-hmm. a very young kid, I attached to that. Uh, but those that would be my uh, trifecta, Groundhog Day, Claire's Knee, and Raging Bull. Then Under yeah. the Skin just changed everything. Wow. I'll just yeah. shout out uh, your your review of Groundhog Day on Letterbox is one of my all time favorite Letterbox reviews. I was so shocked when I saw Calvin half star for Groundhog Day. <laughs> Click on it, repetitive half star. <laughs> Reviewed on April first, I should point out. <laughs> wow, yeah, well done. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's an accomplishment. I I need to make more uh, April Fool's tricks this year. And after that, like, what at what age was Raging Bull? Was it just like? Oh, that was like thirteen, so very foundational. Like, yeah. uh, it was just right into Kubrick after that, and uh, spend way too much time in the horror aisles of Blockbuster and Hollywood Video, and uh, just exploring a lot of seventies. I'm glad Tyler's going on a seventies kick 
because 70s horror exploitation uh, cowboy movies from 60s and 70s, uh, French New Wave from 60s and 70s, that's really my jam. Mm. When you were, you were 13 yeah. watching Raging Bull, I was watching Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are not the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like at 13, like you can show any kid something from the 70s and they're they're so formative like just emotionally uh oh yeah you can once you, can you get into the, too intense it, once you get into that 70s period of film it's like the whole world opens up and yeah. it's like oh shit i was immediately attracted to oh directors could do things because i was already into poetry and writing and i was very into the author idea and the um like ode to the author the whole idea the death of the author also and mm. uh, thinking about like what our relationship was to what we were creating already and Already trying to be a writer myself, so um, I was I was more interested in film once I realized there were people making it and who they were, and that they had personal stamps on the material. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I I, I mean, like it, Marty is such a perfect uh, gateway drug into that whole authorship theory. Oh, yeah. In my in my whole thing of like the gateway drug has always been Wes Anderson too. Like I always. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me it, as well, like, and I think for a lot of people my age, like, Wes is, like, the prime example. Um, yeah. But yeah, let's, let's go into Under the Skin, uh, if you'd like to share your first time seeing it, and, and what about this really, <laughs> well, hey, got under your skin, huh? <laughs> Actually, the yeah. first time I watched it, I don't know if I knew Stop what it. I, I saw there. <laughs> I do appreciate the pun, but uh, I it there was something under my skin, though, uh, after the first time watching it, because it stuck with me, and I didn't really know what I had seen in the theater, and I just thought about it all the time. So I went back and watched it again, and I 
I still didn't quite piece it together. I was still thinking, well, this is a very foundational moment for me because I need to explore something a little bit more deeply and I need a more critical lens on what I'm seeing. So I've probably seen the movie, a, you know, a good hundred times. <laughs> I've shown it to everyone I know. Um, I don't watch it so obsessively anymore, but once it came to Blu-ray and a uh, video, I'd, I just have it on in the background. I mean, I just uh, love Miko Levy's compositions. They struck me immediately. That was my first takeaway from the viewing is that it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. Just totally discordant and uh, songs turning into different things like tortured violins and um, somewhere between that and like the classical approach in techno. I felt like she was taking nightclub music. She said she... I uh, was looking at strip clubs and want something alarming and hot and physical. And I thought mm -hmm. that's ex exactly what Under the Skin is, both like in a visual lens and a audio visual lens. Yeah. Yeah. The disorienting feeling is like just pretty perfect. Um, and also Druid Sandstorm, which is like, wow, yes. I can't believe. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's probably the only art house movie with Darude Sandstorm in it. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of our house like has moments of like normalcy or like something more populous like that, where it's just like we're in the real world, but just you know, like seen a little differently. Uh, it, it's almost subversive to put something so popular in a film so weird. Mm, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I never. I can't. I couldn't really place where I f first saw this. Um, I was trying to think about it today, like. I think I was watching What the Flick re uh, Weekly, uh, the YouTube show with like a, bunch, a few film critics would come on and review new releases. Noticed this was one of them, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Because uh, in 2013 or 2014, rather, mm. I was just getting into film at the time, and I was I was like trying to expose myself to whatever. Um, I, I, I will never forget <laughs> this movie. Um, it's pretty startling. Um, I didn't really know what it was about or what I was trying to say, if like what my take was on it, but I was okay with that. And I was like, wow, I can't, can't believe you can make something like this. But... I've got so many theories now that I wonder if I even know what it's about anymore. It's one of those mm -hmm. things where you watch something so closely so many times that you don't know if you're even examining like the actual text anymore, or if you have so many meta texts and so many ideas yourself that you've kind of overlooked like the actual image and, and what people would get from a first viewing. Um, right. Maybe I've twisted it in my head. Uh, Tyler, what, what's your relationship to it? Yeah. So, um, like, like you guys, I actually think this is like a subtly foundational film for me too. Um, 20 so we'll talk about it but this had the festival rounds in 2013 but then was released in 2014 um so i saw it in sometime in 2014 i don't remember how i came upon it um 2014 was kind of when uh i started getting more seriously into film i would say uh definitely I had been like um glossing over it the past couple of years but this was also like my early 20s and I was like doing some wild shit 
2014 probably the year where I started like slowing down and like film became an even bigger part of my life. It's the first year I remember I had a def like a definite um, year-end list of films, which I think mm. think is like kind of a incredible very, year to make a list too. Yeah, it, I think it's kind of like a notable moment. Like, okay, once you start doing that, then you're really starting to see everything. Um, and so I remember for sure, uh, I watched this just on my laptop. I think I rented it off iTunes and blew me away five stars for me first viewing um something i rarely ever do uh mm. and it was definitely in my top three that year with the lego movie and <laughs> don't sleep what on else? the lego movie man mm. and, yeah lord uh, miller the miracle workers yeah and <laughs> and uh boyhood which also yeah, we also had like a snow piercer that year and uh right there was there's a whole slew of really good things. So I yeah. hadn't seen it uh, since since then till now, um, and yeah, I just got sucked right back into it. And one obvious takeaway is, you know, now in 2022, Scarlett Johansson is a hundred percent famous for Marvel and Black Widow. But then you watch this movie, and you, you know, people forget like. She's done some amazing movie. Who else from the Avengers has made a movie like this? Like, definitely nobody. Mm. So, right, right. That's an interesting question. Um, and in a few weeks, you know, with uh, Chris Hemsworth and Black Hat, uh, <laughs> certainly that's another. That, that's true. I haven't seen that yet. That'll be a first watch for me. But... Oh, you're gonna love it. Uh... <laughs> I I also thought Chris Evans and um, same year Snowpiercer. Same year Snowpiercer. Yeah. Uh, also a movie about harvesting meat from humans. <laughs> That's true. I feel like aside from RDJ, like nobody's really been shackled to the Avengers. Right? Yeah. Like they've all been semi interesting. I mean uh, Scarjo also seems like Avengers reluctant. Like she looks annoyed to be in Black Widow especially. <laughs> so uh I, I feel like that's really a paycheck thing and, mm. and she had her art films and it was very much like mm -hmm. you know she's always done a little bit of both yeah you know before i before we continue i forgot to ask actually what our relationship was to john glazer if we had any oh um radiohead music director uh yeah i mean see. this was the first thing i saw but uh other than the radiohead music videos um then i i went into like birth and and Sexy Beast, which are both incredible films. Like, yeah. I think this is like a high 10 out of 10, but those are both 9 out of 10 films for me. Um, and Glazer's just so good at working with actors and positioning and uh, framing, like, music videos. He obviously comes from, like, a commercial and music video space where he's, like, really making conceptual art like you would in a commercial space, but uh, uh, blowing it up into, like, art. Um, he's been uh, pretty quiet since Under the Skin. No movies since then. He's done two short films. Uh, Zone of Interest will be his next one, which should come out this year, next year. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, about Germans who stood by and just watched as everything went down with the Nazis. I mean, that should be incredible from him. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't have any relationship to Glazer before seeing this. And now I'm such a huge fan. Yeah, neither did I. Um, I've only come around to Sexy Beast and Birth within the last year or two. Um, oh, you've seen them both. That's great. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, they're they're excellent. Um, and um, I feel like that the movie's making about the Nazis has been on the docket since like 2019, which is like, it could be on a festival lineup, you know. But uh, it's just like when you have someone this complex and interior, I'm like, okay, with however long they take. I mean, it was even like he came back and did an Apple commercial, and I'm like, yes, he's testing cameras, like like he's getting exactly. out there and using the equipment, and I was excited already, because even that Apple commercial, it's like people skydiving and flipping through the air, and visually mm-hmm. exciting more than what you're seeing in Blockbuster, certainly. So uh, even a little commercial gets me uh, pretty pumped up, but he also did the uh, Strasbourg movie with Miko Levy and yeah. uh, The Fall, which uh, The Fall is kind of like a follow-up to... Under the skin, in a way, about getting chased down into a well, and then all the people coming in. Uh, uh, under the skin for me is a lot about what people do to you, like a lot of uh, social gendering and uh, filling forms in society that uh, you haven't necessarily chosen. It's very interesting mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and like instinctual behavior. It's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the only mo- other movie from Scarlett Johansson that we've covered is her. And it, okay. it's funny to think about Spike Jones. you know, that's like kind of a similar narrative to, uh, to John Glazer, like coming from commercials and music videos and then like making a narrative every so often. It's, they both made one like around the same time. Like, but, and that was just the year before this. So that was just the year before this. Yeah. N- nice little run for her there. And then I think the year, or no, the same year as this was Winter Soldier, which probably is... I mean, that one prominently features her alongside Cap, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So 2014 is also like this year where we're on like the precipice of Marvel becoming the thing. Like it was like that last year of like, uh, I don't want to say like real cinema, but like a, a serious <laughs> engaging indie cinema that also does well at the box office could uh, succeed in both places, both critically and in box office. So it was also like the apotheosis of like years of buildup of the decade and uh, and a switch like after 2015, it felt like everything was a little different. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd so she definitely with shifted with the market, right? Like uh, the best actors aren't just going to stay in the art house. I mean, they need to put food on the table too. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, what's notable too with this is it's an early A24 movie, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And First time I heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where that sets off the rest of the decade where a lot of the most notable art house releases are A24. Very informative to what their brand would become and kind of like that style that they sit within. Um, uh, very out there. I don't think they have like a style, of course, because they're a distributor, but I think the projects they uh, would seek out after Under the Skin are very informed by the content of the movie itself. And certainly the next year rings true with Ex Machina. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those two. If you're going to start a studio with anything, why not these fucking fantastic movies? Yeah, no, and also with Marvel, like it's interesting that the, also 2014 is the year of Guardians, where it's like we can take a gamble on pretty much anything now, and, and yeah. audiences will still come to see it. It was genuinely like the year of like, okay, Marvel is uh, taking over, and it felt like a universe was actually being established, and there was like the cross promotions between films. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wasn't into that stuff yet. I was I was still art house, uh, exploring the outer reaches of film. I wasn't uh, at the big cinemas anymore because of Under the Skin, really. Mm-hmm. It's also the year of like a upstream color, right? That was uh, my other favorite. But uh, 
God damn it, Shane Carruth. <laughs> so, I know, back in the news. Oh, 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 goodness. Uh, what a bastard. Jeez. I know. Yeah, and I feel like that that news has been like public for so long, but now something's finally being done about it. Yeah, we all know now, and yeah, uh, they're taking action, which is you mm-hmm. know, uh, fuck that guy. Liked his movies before. I don't want to think about him anymore. But it's it is kind of cool to think about ScarJo at this time and like the public image that she's had because it's like she's always been like taught to me as like this very sexualized uh, woman that everyone desires and and it's just like the like unachievable amount of beauty and it's like she's never been like that poster for for like what we have as an idea of her it's always been just like. She's always wanted to try different things that she's, you know, but she's always wanted to, want to become something more. Um, I think this movie kind of taps into that, uh, the voyeurism. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's she's taken swings for sure. She, I mm-hmm. wouldn't say she's, like, played it safe in her career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like, there's this interview I was, I was checking out, um, and the interview's like, yeah, you know, you're really taking a big step and going out of the box with this one. How do you feel? And she's like... I don't know. Is there a pox for me? It's just like there, there was nothing like already set in everyone's minds, even her own. Um, on like, what is the, the boundaries that you need to abide by? I mean, she's the actress that said, uh, when questioned if she should be playing an Asian woman, she said she could play a tree if she wanted to. So, uh, right, I mean, yeah, I have that, a complicated <laughs> relationship to ScarJo as a, as a person. I like how she's, I think we all do now. You're right. And, and yeah. in 2019, when that interview came out, it's just like, Oh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. But I was more tainted all of our images. I'm more curious by how Jonathan Glazer's directed and employed her and um, kind of used her image of that, like, like that natural generational beauty uh, and kind of flipped it on its head and questioned it and kind of investigated it too. Like, like what is beauty as like a, as a objective, like external fact and- of who you are. And how do you get shaped by being that beautiful and how men begin to respond to you? And um, I think that the best thing the movie does is it creates like a prey relationship with the camera because three fourths of the film is uh, done with, well, the, the cameras for documentaries were too large and then um, they wanted to still be unseen. So they created a new little camera, which is kind of like a, pre-GoPro for a filmmaker. They were kind of up against it and they were trying to figure out how to make a predatory prey uh, relationship between the camera and the subject. So about three-fourths of the movie is all done like fly on the wall. Uh, Multiple cameras within a vehicle is one innovation they had, but they also innovated a small like GoPro-like documentary camera for filmmakers, which I think was called like the, the one film, the one shot or something like that. And they uh, kind of created a new relationship between, like, a documentary and, and fiction in an interesting way. I'm really a documentary guy also, so uh, that kind of, um, you know, cinema verite style, where it's kind of like fly on the wall and the people don't even know that they're in a film half the time around Scarlet. There's the moment where she trips onto the street uh, in Glasgow and uh, everyone comes around and picks her up, but those people don't even know they're being filmed yet. Uh, some of the people she stops by and uh, semi-propositions don't realize they're being filmed. Of course, some of the actors who go into like the, the sunken place know that, that they're on film because uh, they give a lot. But uh, um, I really like that Cinema Verite style and 
And also how Glazer's chosen his subjects. Yeah, especially with Adam Pearson. I feel like that's someone that you kind of pick out just for their presence. Pearson, I've really loved. I, I love Chain for Life, a more recent film that he did, and uh, we follow each other on Twitter, and oh, wow. uh, he's tweeted <laughs> out some of my under-the-skin pieces. So, yeah. Uh, big fan of Adam Pearson. Actually, I think this is, in my opinion, the most brave performance I had seen. I was so moved by Adam Pearson, and just yeah. having someone on screen who's a little bit different, and kind of wears that, and um, it's not like a, a big factor in the plot, right? Like a she picks him up all the same, but she feels sympathetic toward him, and there's compassion there, and that allows her to become more human. Uh, something about that was so moving to me that Adam Pearson's role is what made her become human, in a sense. And she right. started living more humanly because she had compassion for someone who's different. That was just gorgeous. Right, and, it was, and it's like the seduction doesn't even work. You know, he's just, like, distracted. Yeah. He's just like, where am I? And it's like, it's cold in here, and it's like... You know, everyone else is just like dead set on on this uh, this person they can't look away from. Yeah, and he's just a sweetheart, so she lets him go. But then the elite alien comes by and picks picks him up. Uh, anyway, uh, that might be the bit I need to fill in from the book. <laughs> I I guess I don't know if you guys know, like the motorcycle guy is the elite alien. He's one of the people who charges the women. Uh, their whole mission is to come to Earth and extract meat from males uh so they have like a processing plant up on their home planet and they're running low on human meat and he's one of the elite aliens that charges her with uh doing that so the whole film he's checking on with her and uh cleaning up her work a little bit mm -hmm. yeah I, I like that they never answer like why they need male meat <laughs> it's just yeah. like they just you know this is something that that's important and uh everyone that is sent down to earth usually just gains a conscience and then they need to be replaced and then once they gain a conscience they'll be replaced again it's just, and then we just see the one that looks like scarlett johansson yeah i mean it, and it's a good path to follow because she breaks the the cycle of whatever they're doing by by realizing what it is to be human and and how that feels and and what happens when you gender women in society and mm. uh, she responds really interestingly to all that mm-hmm in the in the book, she's uh, a little bit more alien. She seems to have a different relationship. Like, she believes her car is a living person. Her van, she treats like an animal. Um, and she constantly describes it as, like, an animal figure. And uh, it seems almost impossible to adapt, but Jonathan Glazer really took, like, a Kubrick approach. Like, a lot of visualization from, like, 2001 fits into, like, the same uh, cinematic arena as this. Yeah, uh, that's funny you say that. I was actually thinking uh, about this movie as being kind of 2001-esque. Um, mm. And, you know, this came out uh, eight years ago now. I, I feel like... I thought by now this movie would have taken on more... Um, more, would have more of a cultural f footprint than I think it it does have right now. Because um, obviously it was kind of, like we all said, an art house movie and like a small release and stuff at the yeah. time. But when I saw it, it blew me away so much. I was like, this movie is is going to be something. 
And I feel like that hasn't really happened yet, but I still think, you know, there there could be a time where this movie starts really being uh, talked about in a different way as being one of, like, the key movies, certainly, of the 2010s. Um, and maybe, you know, I think Sight and Sound is doing another list this year. I'd be interested to see if this ends up on there. But I, I think it's it could have the stigma of like a stigma is not the right word, but it could have a similar, be a similar talking point to the 2010s as 2001 was to the sixties. It's kind of an implacable thing too, right? Like how do you fit it into a genre box? It's like kind of horror, but there's no obvious October reason to watch it. I mean, it's sci-fi, but it's not like spaceships. It's a drama, but it's, it's really hard to place. And, Look at what we talked about, like, ScarJo went and made Marvel, Jonathan Glazer's made nothing. Uh, then we had uh, Mika Levy, who's done some really incredible work after, like, with uh, Jackie, and uh, she did Zola last year, and mm-hmm. before that, Monos, which, incredible scores, but it's not like uh, anyone that was involved has been kind of barking up this same tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've all just, like, kind of had their lanes that they've stuck to. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, what's the sight and sound list that's coming out? Do you know? No, I just know that I, I've heard that they're releasing an updated list this year. Um, the last time was in 2011 or 12, I think. And their list is, I believe, a thousand films. Mm, um, okay. But international. Uh, um, and uh, I know... Uh, people really love their list. Uh, Jordan Ralph of the film stage, I know he's his mission's kind of been to complete the list from 2011 or whatever, and he's like over 90% of the way there. And when it's at yeah. a thousand movies, it's it's a lot. So when yeah, you're done with the 70s AFI, that'll be you too. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you yeah. again in 15 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's done. I've done. <laughs> well. What do you think's preventing Under the Skin or keeping it from being that kind of movie? Do you think it matters mm. if it is? Wow, yeah. Um, Just I for awareness. It's... Yeah. Um, yeah, awareness. Because like, I feel like the people who have seen it are just like, yeah, I get it. You know, like this, this thing is cer- certainly after um, ideas and visual language that's um, that's very easy to, to communicate. Uh, mm because like you, you really could like treat this as a silent film. And oh sure, that's I, so I, rare nowadays. I'd say I had really good success with recommending it and showing it to people. And I mean, every girlfriend I have <laughs> has seen it uh, <laughs> since then, and everyone I've, uh, all my friends have come over and watched it. And uh, but then there's uh, people who really don't like it, which I get. Um, I like the uh, polarization of Under the Skin too. It's not a guaranteed success with everyone. It's not that accessible. And uh, I mean, it has plenty that could turn you off if you're, you know, uncomfortable or just don't want to watch this movie. There's a, the second half also, uh, I think, doesn't totally follow the first. I think it does a lot of interesting, different things. But I can see someone losing it in the second half. Mm. I've heard yeah. that about the third, but it's like it comes together in the third act. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that when I was watching it, I was like, okay, I everything I remembered about the movie was the first act and mm-hmm. the second half the second half 
uh, or not the first act, the first half, I would say, um, when the movie's really about her picking up guys, and the second half is where it becomes something more than that, um, and that was, I had forgotten all that, um, mm-hmm. and when we can talk about, uh, a notable point in the movie, I think, is the beach scene. Okay. Um, which, uh, baby, uh... Which, that, the... When the camera's on the baby um, at night, at the end of that scene, it's like, man, it's just some disturbing stuff. Seriously, yeah. That still gives me anxiety every time. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, I never, it's unforgettable. I feel like even if you don't respond to the movie, I feel like there's at least images in here, in that scene in particular, uh, that'll never leave you. Mm -hmm. I think anything could have happened at that beach. And it's just like, what is happening? Even if, like, that particular situation doesn't happen like i don't know like something will will like come about where it's just like your presence laura's presence being here it's just like causing some rift um but you know you mentioned the name michael levy and i think for me like this has to be up there with the scores of the 2010s like it's it's a revelation um yeah probably up there with like even if you want to limit it like scores that aren't recognized via the academy no, so it's mm. just like this one wasn't. Some, by the way, this one got no yeah, nominations gonna... for my favorite well, no, score yeah. of all time. I'm still angry. <laughs> you can hear it in my voice. <laughs> I'm ready to riot at any moment for yeah, Miko yeah. Levy. It's been so long since. I mean, I can't believe how long it's been. But uh, in the Social Network score, I think we call it "Score of the Decade," which is like I usually don't say like you know like yeah. definitive statements like that. But it's like, this yeah. one, though. But yeah. This is this is and my point is like yeah that this is also up there and this is um, too the Jackie store score I really love yeah I like yep. that too and um, this Miko Levy came from like a background where they were um, like a classical violinist like they're a classically trained musician they know everything about like the in and outs of music but the they also have like a just pretty simple rock band Mikachu and the Shapes which was pretty good I think. They changed their name last year, but she's put out also just like regular records. She put out two solo records last year and did Zola. So she's very prolific and still working and and doing interesting things. Going back to what we were saying earlier about why uh, maybe this movie isn't as widely accepted as one of the great movies of the 2010s as as we would like it to be. I think another reason uh, for that is... Because of uh, what you said earlier, that Glazer hasn't made a movie since then. And a lot of times when that happens, uh, it's how a movie gets forgotten. Um, I think he's got a, a new movie coming up. Maybe people go back and rewatch this or watch it for the first time. And it, it takes on a uh, new life. I'm just not sure it needs to, though, right? Like, uh, I think there's something to it just being a divisive, like, artifact. The start of A24, for one, makes it eternally notable. But um, mm-hmm. also the the score and, and the direction here, I think, is on par with anything Kubrick did. So, I mean, for me, it's a pretty high bar. I think we're not the people to answer this, but also it was pretty polarizing at the festival premieres. Um, yeah. and it's over time, I think it's just like simmered down as like people are coming to terms with, like it's something pretty special. It's, I mean, it was on the cover of looking at movies, which is like the college level textbook. And I mean, it's, mm. 
it's considered like a a main text now, right? Like a, I mean, that's usually popular movies to get people interested, but it was just Scarlett Johansson inside her van, put on the makeup, and I mean, yeah, it, it has an impact. It has a footprint, and I know I found plenty of people who also have it as their favorite movie of all time, and that's encouraged me to keep going. Yeah, I I figured we would talk a little bit about. Um, our relationship, hell, and how we met. Um, I believe oh, yeah. in in 2010 or not 2010, 2018. <laughs> uh, all the years are blending together now. It feels uh, that way, though. Yeah, but on 20 in 2018, um, is that at the end of that year? Is that when uh you started Twin Geeks? Yeah. Um. Yeah, toward uh, the end of 2018, it's been going what four years now. Yeah, going strong, and and uh, with you guys on there is when I made my podcast debut, and we talked we talked uh, Avengers Endgame. Is that what we did first? <laughs> we did Glass and Avengers. I know I had you for both of those. Did we do Glass? Yeah, we did Glass. Okay, um, and then I know we did The Shining as well. And, That's and, right. Yeah, and you rained on my Shining parade. I was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, this is better than anything Kubrick's done. So. Man, that's that's a take. <laughs> I, I don't hate it though. Yeah. I don't hate it though. This this yeah. is I think, yeah. Comparing this to like I like we said earlier, comparing it to two thousand one, and this there's some Kubrickian roots in here. I would say for oh, sure. Oh yeah, certainly. I, I I don't know. I remember like when we did. Yorgos Lanthimos' movies uh, on here, because we've covered The Favorite and Killing of a Sacred Deer, and I remember Kubrick influences being talked about in those episodes. But this one, I think, is like the most aware, very literal, yeah, very yeah, literal that I think folks at the time like recognized, and also Lynch. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, like those, like comparing auteurs to other auteurs is so hard. Just being like they're singular for a reason, and it, we keep. I think we keep seeing things from under the skin pop up too, like the sunken place and get out was mm-hmm. very obviously sure. the, the same as right. the one Laura puts yeah. the guys into. We keep saying Laura, but she doesn't actually have a name in the movie. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, in the book, I, I figure Laura. in the, yeah. in the, yeah, that's why my mind was that too. And just in case it'd be easier just know. to say that, uh, uh the alien, just keep saying the alien. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And also I think there's a little bit of this in annihilation. I agree. Yeah, I think a lot of yeah. these like hyper-visualized A24 movies are also taking visual cues at the very least. Also, uh-huh. like that cinema verite, like a, having one or two known actors and then everyone else coming in on the cast, I think Under the Skin brought that back in a meaningful way, although that was already big like in the 70s. And, you know, uh, that kind of cinema verite uh, style of filmmaking was big back then, too. So it's always been around. Yeah. It just kind of keyed into... Uh, Everything I really like about movies, which is that Kubrick in lens and and the cinema verite and a, a slightly documentary style, also audio visual horror. Uh, I mean, pretty much everything about it is my thing. You like things that are inspired by Kubrick, but not Kubrick itself. <laughs> I, I love Kubrick. It's, 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 just, uh, yeah. it's just The Shining. I think is good <laughs> and not the best movie ever. Um, Mid at best. Yeah, I mean, like a Clockwork Orange, I almost put in there as like one of my formative things, but uh, everyone just, should see that as a teenager. Yeah, I just rewatched that uh, as parts of my seventies watch, um, 
and yeah, like like you said, I would have this uh, above that for sure. And like uh, Barry and Lyndon, one of the greatest movies of all time. That's in my top ten of all time too. That, that's a blind spot for me. So oh god, you got to fix oh, that. Oh yeah, seventies. Hey, you got it. Yeah, even more. So. But you know, like honestly, going off of Clockwork Orange, I think what's interesting about uh, Scotland here. You can't understand a goddamn thing like anyone's saying, or at least it's very hard to most of the time. <laughs> and and that, that kind of works that Scottish is gibberish here. Yeah. Um, you know, and that and it's like Laura is trying to understand human behavior and uh, uh, linguistics, but no, even even more so that's just like, okay, and then, you know, just continues on with the, with the directions. Um, but it's more things that happen to her and like you know people's um like affection i guess like like the formative turning point thing in the movie is like when she's given the rose and like you see that Mm -hmm. the flower pokes the man and it's like there's a little blood on it like and how like she's beginning beginning to grow a heart yeah yeah Yeah, it's fascinating watching her develop and and she changes so much um I love that it's kind of just starting with gibberish anyway. Like she's she's trying to learn the language, and you just hear gibberish off screen. So it makes sense once you're in Glasgow and you don't know what anyone's saying. Um, mm-hmm. The book, by the way, not doesn't take place in Glasgow. It does place take place in Scotland somewhere, I believe. But mm. do we think there's any significance to its place? Just the just in a visual way. I think the uh, very gray blue. Uh, aesthetic that Glazer captures uh, seems very Glasgowian. I think uh, it's it's notable uh, having it in Glasgow rather than like the countryside um, because in those scenes where she's actually like walking down the street, she looks so alien um, and appears to be like so inhuman and so foreign to everything happening around her um and having such um a lifelike city as glasgow uh you just see like all the happenings of human life um around around her and the camera keeps flashing to other individuals and you see this whole world and she is just like oblivious to everything and kind of just like looking through everything um, but then later in the movie, she starts to recognize all these like different things uh, about the world around her. Um, it's interesting how it plays with that. She really is pretty astounding in here. Um, mm-hmm. That she can go from that robotic uh, machine and then to very charming is like a pretty cool to see. Um, and Glazer, I'm sure you guys already know this. He wanted like someone who's totally has never been in the movie before. Uh, settling on ScarJo, and it's like she kind of does look like not her. <laughs> yeah, and it's like she just has the wig and the outfit and the lipstick, but it's like it's it does a lot to like cover up a movie star. She's just so good at at that that it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like she's you know, you don't like watch under the skin and then connect it to the Avengers work, right? Like it it's so no. singular in her career. I mean. I think you have a few of those. You have like the Lost in Translation and and her and Under the Skin, where she just seems totally different and and able to embody that thing. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I would say this is my favorite performance of hers, but because my my main takeaway from the movie is like, wow, that's an incredible work from 
Jonathan Glazer and and the uh, and the score. Um, whereas for her, I would say something like Marriage Story, or even her, is like mm. her doing more. I'd say um, this is my favorite direction of her. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say favorite performance, but uh, yeah, because this it, is the it, best she's ever been directed. I think. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Also, Lost in Translation, pretty yeah, terrific, pretty incredible work for her. And I think her persona adds a lot to the movie. Whereas, like you said, if if Glazer casted nobody in that role, I feel like this having her there is more, um, more resonant because uh, we have a familiarity with her. I mean. Obviously, she's in all the Marvel movies, so people watch those, and then they go watch this. It it means something. Mm. Yeah, she can use that image to maybe get some more attention on the movie than it might have already, might not have already gotten. Um, and especially with Glazer, like working so infrequently and kind of shifting, uh, like from features to commercials. It's just like not never became a known name, and that's pretty cool. That's like. You can just kind of make a movie whenever in your own, like it. Yeah. Whenever we're scooped up for a director for hire or something. Yeah, I mean it, that's a pretty cool and irregular model now, especially. Um, I what mean, if uh, Glazer directed Black Widow? Would the world be a better place? <laughs> no, significantly worse. I think. <laughs> it would have yeah, been would... his Eternals. Yeah, Glazer's like, you know what, Colette Sarah, I'm going to take Jungle Cruise off you. Yeah, no worries. I got it from here. Man, I don't know. I don't know if I could uh, get down with any of that. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Black Widow already directed by like the Berlin Sin- Syndrome lady, so I mean, yeah. anything could happen, I guess. Kate Shortland, yeah. 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 I think uh, a good comparison for ScarJo in the 2010s, because, I mean... Actress actress runs in the twenty times. I would definitely say she's up there as having one of the best. Mm-hmm. Another one that really strikes me um, is Natalie Portman, who's definitely made some movies uh, in this class. I would say, and I don't know how you think the two of them compare when mm-hmm. you look at their careers, and if you think Portman would have could have done this role, and so on. It was originally going to be Olivia Wilde, I heard. It's kind of interesting to look at. Yeah, that would be a different movie, I think. Yeah. I think uh, I could also see Nicole Kidman after birth. Also, I mm. would like to see her work with Glazer again. But And Glazer in Kidman and birth, like, I mean, just staggering work. Um, that the you kind other of feel scene? like, yeah. Right, Fuck. you kind of feel like there's there's so much power with that close up, um, and a similar comments on their status and beauty. Or I, I feel like Glazer could have been like Villanova if that were his interest, but I don't think I think he's so far away from that. Um, but I guess that's what it would probably look like if if Glazer did like a. Uh, signed on to a production company and did like a picture deal, you might get something more like Villanova's done in the blockbuster space, but better. Yeah, I don't know if Glazer would be interested in something like that. Uh, 
I think I'm interested in him because he wouldn't be interested. And that's the other thing. Like, if this movie's not as well-known as some of the others from the 2010s, that, that's it's okay with me. I think history yeah. will be very kind to it. I think in 10 years we'll come back to it and be like, wow, that's that's a really formative piece of what's happening now. I think, like, in, you know, 10, 20 years, if a movie stands up, that's the most powerful statement I could have. Yeah, certainly. Especially with, like, cerebral sci-fi. Uh, yeah. That sort of carved out a niche um, niche lane for itself. Like, we already mentioned uh, Ex Machina and Annihilate, like, Alex Garland's work. Yeah. And, uh... And Upstream Color. So, if these directors sure. keep yeah. knocking themselves out, then, uh, you know, Glazer's stock just keeps rising. Mm-hmm. I think t- something of note, too, is, um... And some... you mentioned Villeneuve, so Arrival. I-, I put in there, too. Yeah. Actually, that's funny. Uh, I I had this on Blu-ray. And, uh, one of the trailers at the beginning is uh, Enemy, mm-hmm. which I guess was also around the same time. Yeah, that. Yeah, also a twenty-four. Yeah, Enemy also kind of like Birth in a way. I guess you could say Enemy and fucking Under the Skin. I think it's premiered at TIFF the same. Uh, or no, because they're both twenty thirteen okay. festival premieres coming out. In the States, 2014. Right. That This one shows uh, mm-hmm. Telluride uh, premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways. It's pretty cool to look at um, Scarlett Johansson starting the decade with Iron Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, like, ending it with Avengers Endgame. Where it's just like, you are just not letting go of... But I, I, I guess, like, you can say that for, like, so many marvel actors where it's like she's no different it's more like she's always been at the core of that group um, and she's done now right like is she yeah she's she yeah she's gotta be, be. Out, she's, out. she's gotta be oh, yeah. she's finally done now yeah yeah if the, it seems the more Widow... out than anyone's ever been so. yeah, yeah right? <laughs> that's true she looks so tired of the shit by the time she got to black widow it just yeah, it was too at that point uh, yeah i think that movie should have come out five years earlier oh yeah um, yeah Right. That was like Money in the Bank. It's like, everyone's going to go see it. Certainly, it shouldn't have come out around COVID. I think it would have done better <laughs> anyway if it came out two years ago. It would have been a smash. Of course. Um, but yeah. As we're talking, Spider-Man No Way Home is like number six all-time box office, I think. Yeah, something disgusting like that. <laughs> well, uh, Avatar 2 will come out this year and change the game again. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, Jim knows something. So. Yeah, Jim knows something we don't, you know, so it's like... Which is weird to think that's an also a Disney property, too. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, god yeah. damn it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, go ask this, if you guys... This Let's go ask if you guys property. did Avatar, but that's like a 2009, right? Like that, yeah, that yeah, seems yeah, like yeah. it was a 2010, but it's been that long. That were a couple decades past. Yeah, and like the 3D craze that Avatar started, like carried <laughs> over and into uh, the early 2010s. I think that's yeah. also like a big. Uh, it's kind of funny to look at um, Scarlett Johansson around this time specifically, right? Because it's like she has she has the supporting role in Don John. Uh, you know, my my movies, my car, my porn. You know, we all know everywhere. Uh, Never saw that. She, she was like sporting role in Chef. Uh, mm-hmm. John Favreau is a chef. That 
You just she, watched she, the day she, Scarlett Johansson on camera. I mean, let's be honest, but oh John really? Favreau Did they? I, I don't know. No, I. Oh, on camera, I mean, that's what he camera. wanted oh, for okay. himself on yeah. screen. He, right. <laughs> it's a powerful thing a... if he could be paired with her. <laughs> right, and like Ty mentioned earlier with uh, Winter Soldier, so it's just like she just kind of works. You know, uh, I don't know. She doesn't. She doesn't seem to like be doing multiple things a year, but it's more. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of like lets uh, directors use her as well as being in front of the Marvel machine. Um, I went back, actually, kind of funny um, thing that happened around the time of the release. I went back to um, the What the Flick review at the time, and Rotten Tomatoes was giving away um, an under-the-skin vinyl. And then they just kind of realized, like, who would buy this? (laughs) I don't even know if, like, who, if anyone won the giveaway. It's just interesting to think, like, oh, what if they didn't want that? And they didn't realize, like, what the vinyl would be. (laughs) There is a really nice vinyl of it. I think it's like eighty bucks still on Amazon now. So mm. I'm thinking about it still. It is my favorite soundtrack for a movie. I could justify eighty on Under the Skin. Yeah, I might have to listen to the score. When so I'm, good. I don't know if this is like treadmill music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find like the right place for this music. It would it would make sense at a twisted kind of strip club as. Uh, Miko Levy, as they were mm. envisioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And I have a, like a hundred plus uh, playlist of like film scores, but it's like only one, two, or three from each film. And it's like I have a few from this, and I think that's like the dose of Under the Skin score that I could do, which is maybe not <laughs> the entire thing from back to front, but it's just next to, uh, you know. Little women, I don't know. <laughs> like, what's... Yeah, you could. Uh, yeah. yeah, you could listen to "Love," "Lipstick to the Void," maybe <laughs> one other one, and then you're yeah. you've got to get out of there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, thankfully, it's spread place. out over the movie because that would be it's a lot to handle. I mean, uh, you you need mm-hmm. a little distance between each song. I there was like a YouTube comment for the song "Love" on "Under the Skin," which was like it sounds like a haunted mating call of two whales <laughs> and I've thought about that for years that that it was like a, a mating call between whales and a universal symbol of love as like uh, animals existing in a space under the ocean I've just I've just been thinking about that for several years so yeah, thanks to that yeah. YouTube commenter yeah <laughs> but I do love the um, you know it's it's like the movie doesn't really take a leaps to you know Number one, hold hands with the audience because, like, what kind of mm-hmm. great sci-fi um, kind of instructs instructs you to like know how to feel or anything like that. But also, it's just the uh, passage of time is not too clear as well. So it's like this could be a week or something. Yeah. Just imagine uh, Laura exploring human life for however long. I. I always imagine her taking out more humans than we actually Unless see. Unless it's too. less ambiguous in the book. Uh, it might be more definitive. I'm sure it's less ambiguous in the book. It, the book over-explains. I don't even think it's a mm. fantastic book. I think it's a good book made into an incredible movie. A case where the movie is significantly better and more worthwhile as a piece of art than the book. That It establishes and visualizes so many things that should seem hard. Like the meat going down the, the ramp. That kind of thing seems like it would be hard to visualize in an interesting way. Or the people going into the sunken place and then turning into, like, 
like a weird like fabric like just mucus and water i mean that's very <laughs> interesting visualization yeah because like at the end so of the day we're just like creepy. we're sacks of meat you know it's just yeah. it's like when it's like we're in, it's deflated it's just oh and then uh, like that's a human being you know taken out all of our personality and conscience yeah um, i think yeah. uh that that image uh where i believe it's the third guy she brings into quote unquote sunken place is when he sees uh one of the and i love how it's guys. visualized too like you're just walking into this like little house and it's just, like this thing yeah. of black and it's like yeah sort of, yeah but it took me at least three times to realize that was her spaceship the uh the house that she went to you see eventually the the part where there's like lights above the city and uh but but i realized eventually that that house is her spaceship and that's how she transfers them to the aliens just took wow. me a while to get there i yeah i hadn't made that connection necessarily um well, yeah, when she brings that guy in, he sees uh, one of the previous guys that was in there, and he's, like, frozen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then his body just, like, crumbles and deflates. Uh, yeah. It's, like, super uh, unnerving. I love it, because they're, like, sinking, but then she, like, walks on, walks over top of them. And it's really sexy, like, the way she, like, disrobes. And, and then the guys just look so, you know, funny, like, with their little underwear and he's like pulling them off and i mean they you know they don't look as attractive as like she is alluring and uh it's funny just watching her like it's like when you watch a fly get stuck into a trap like a venus fly trap or something like there's totally. just that that predatory thing it's like before a spider lunges it's just like just back on its legs and uh that's how i feel about her there it's yeah, really it's barbaric cool. i love it yeah yeah, that's and you know it's pretty clever that you made that connection to get out because it's and that's definitely the most, um, it's or it's the closest influence mm-hmm. that this and I think you know like any cerebral sci-fi that we called attention to earlier. I think this will have influence for like the future filmmakers like in the twenty yeah. twenties, um, and just like the visuals of the second place are so evocative. It feels like you've reached the end of the world or something, like in a video game. Um, there's like no way to go. I've already seen several others, but now I think they're influenced by Get Out. I mean, it might have mm. taken it from this, but uh, I've seen several other movies with sunken place concepts that I'm almost 90% sure are from that movie, not this one. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And I don't even know if like Peel was influenced by this. More so than I'm sure. I think someone, whoever came up with that visual idea, probably at least saw this movie, right? And yeah, possibly. right, right, right. Uh, it and it could be one of those things too, where this doesn't have to be celebrated in like a populist way. This could just be a movie that filmmakers and a cult audience love, and then that could be good enough. If all the people who make movies saw this movie, that would be good enough for me. You think about like the Velvet Underground, like everyone who saw it started a band. I'd like everyone who saw this movie to go make their own movie. I mean, I'm looking forward to what what Glazer has coming next. Uh, it's been too long. We're at, uh, we'll like see. we said, eight years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine like the gap between birth and her, under his skin and like people who saw birth are like, I can't, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> just a few more sleeps until, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, it's not something, you know, that subject matter, not as appealing to me as Under the Skin or whatever, but I'm uh, 
still interested in what he does with that book. I haven't read that book myself, but mm-hmm. uh, once I realize that it's actually coming out, I will pick it up. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, because I like even if it's in another instance like this that he chooses to adapt something kind of normal and makes it something abnormal. Um, it'll yeah. at least be interesting to see where it's coming from and if there's any thematic connection uh, with the uh, previous three movies. I'm really I'm glad not even to. too sure if uh, there really is with Sexy Beast and Birth, but it's like the visual <laughs> language yeah, of it, those two is so particular. I'm um, not even sure like if it, you know, if it's better that it didn't come out during the Trump era, maybe I was, maybe I would have been tired or mm. objected to it, or it would have seemed too on the nose somehow with the everyone standing by and seeing like actual fascism in their own country. Uh, maybe it's better that we have to wait. Outsiders, a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little better that uh, Zone of Interest doesn't take place. I'm glad it didn't come out like January sixth of this year. I'll say that. What would Jonathan Glazer's "Don't Look Up" be? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I don't. I I just want that screenplay not to be um, in anyone's hands. That's, that's existent. Right. You don't want it to yeah. exist. <laughs> Ty, have you seen it yet? Don't look up. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Waiting for the uh, discourse to die down. Is that the, uh, that's the deal? <laughs> yeah. I had to see it in theater. I felt so trapped. <laughs> it was the I, same I wish deal I with got your... to see it on Netflix. Yeah, it was the same deal with your movie marathon. They locked the door uh, and don't <laughs> look up screenings. Yeah, it's like what two and a half hours. It's a long time for, for um, that brand yeah, of two hours Adam too McKay. long. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The... It could have easily been about forty-five minutes. I think that movie. <laughs> it could have been a no. That's that's my whole. Yes. Deal. No, I mean. I just, I think the, the rejection, I mean, Glazer has even talked about it, like the rejection to, to do anything alien like that we've seen in cinema. Cause there isn't, there isn't an alien like this. I mean, especially 2010s aliens or depiction mm. of other life forms or AI or whatever, whatever this is. It's just like, this is, I think Scarlett Johansson being this, this creature, uh, that's just trying to like be malleable. It's, wholly unique and from original cloth. I think uh, Annihilation is an interesting comparison, um, particularly the end um, with the mirror image alien. Uh, it really looks like the way Scarlet looks once her skin's ripped off, right? Like the alien in Annihilation almost looks like a yeah. carbon copy of this one. Right. But yeah, that's the only one I could really think of that that looks exactly the same as this and and it's it looks so alien the guy that attacks her and then runs off he's like so mm. he's so um petrified of what he's seen like he comes back and he's just like lighted on fire yeah he's like whatever this yeah. thing is like this thing's gotta go <laughs> yeah like even in the forest where there's like it's like they have the whole conversation about like being alone for serenity purposes, and it's like no, not even here can you exist. Uh, but no, I think that I think the movie's ending is pretty great. I think it ends kind of like I think the main reading is like it's a tragic one, but I think it's kind of a happy ending, right? Like she has to no longer deal with this 
with the boss. Like, yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's a little. She's, she's finally had to. Yeah, it's different from the book. I've heard that as well. And she's learned um, human kindness and affection, mm. but also like the bleak side of humanity. And like it, you know, the, the movie opens and ends with like a. Um, with a rape attempt, and it's like it's like we take advantage of others, but then we also help others, right? So it's like uh, learning the nuances and moralities of humanities, like her whole thing, and now it's like that's her mission that she accomplished, right? So I guess as well as seducing men, <laughs> I feel I know, like I'm just gonna like clip the... this out and like do like movie explained on YouTube and like do a bunch of like that'll be this <laughs> part, you know what I mean? Like, but the, um, get out the whiteboard. Yeah, right. Can I just say, like, that is, like, one of my big things about not, or, like, not anymore being on YouTube is, like, well, I never started YouTube just, by, like, the thumbnails I cannot stand. Like, that's such a pet boob. Is like, <laughs> I'd feel so embarrassed, like, uh, uh. Um, It is embarrassing. This, does this make any sense? This, um, I feel like if we were on YouTube, I would make sure I had, like, at least six cups of coffee before every episode, so I'd be like, ah. Yeah, like, right. wildly explaining everything. You have to be animated, yeah. I just don't have time for that anymore. Once you become a dad, you're not allowed on YouTube to have a channel, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. They've dad shouldn't be on there. We have other things to be doing. It would look uh, shameful for our dadum if we... <laughs> for our dadum. What about TikTok? Oh, TikTok's fine. <laughs> no, I don't know yeah. much about TikTok. I don't. Uh, I haven't engaged. Well, it's much, with... it's much shorter. You know, that's only a few minutes. Like YouTube is like, oh, I don't know how I'm, like the length. Yeah, I mean, it always saves you time if you're going to go through mm-hmm. that mundanity of user-made video content. But I cut you off. Did, were you about to say something? Something about like the ending of the book and how it exudes like her spirit into the air and. Uh, and it seems like it's saying something more existential, but I think that uh, way the movie ends is perfect. It's even better. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it I, improves I, I been... everything. In the book. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember like hearing a lot of existential dread uh, coming mm. like that. That was the common response from the ending. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think it's just like ends with hope that you are set free from what confines you. Yeah. Yeah. If like, but significantly better than the other interpretation. That's the only one you could get from the book. Which, uh, for once, the book is too literal, and the movie's totally open ended, which is a, a rare conversion. Mm. I'd be curious to know the author's thoughts on the movie. Yeah, I would too. Um, because, like, obviously with. Ke- uh, Kubrick, it's gone both ways where, like, with Clockwork Orange, um, Burgess really loved the movie, and then mm-hmm. with The Shining, Stephen King hated the movie. Um, so, yeah, it can always go either way with the author conversion to, um, cinema, uh, but it sounds like pretty much universally in this case, everybody seems to think the movie, uh, is an improvement on the novel, so... Mm-hmm. And it's funny how many movies that seemingly came out around this time that we've covered or have are connected in some way. You know, like Annihilation, Get Out, and Enemy all have something in common. I feel like um, 
it's interesting that it's like these are like the focal points of conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it started a conversation. Yeah, and also enemy. Like I think it was also based on a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, enemy and annihilation. Mm-hmm. Um, get out, not that was original Jordan Peele screenplay. Should we go ahead and move into favorite scene? Yeah, unless we have anything else that we'd like to. I mean, Calvin, this is your time. Please. No, no. Let's go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I can start yeah, I off. Think... Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like this is a weird movie to have a favorite scene because it's like a lot of disturbing shit. What stuck with me the most probably um, was that beach scene. What Johansson's doing uh, with her performance on the beach, um, watching the guy uh, dive into the water um, and then taking him out. I mean, and then um, what are we calling the the head alien, the biker? The biker? Uh, I, I forget his name. Uh, the elite. The elite. The elite, the elite alien. Uh, when he comes back and just walks past the crying, screaming baby on the beach, it's like just mm-hmm. uh, absolutely brutal. Like, yeah, that's just no that's more, something you can't. A, it's like yeah, so un- unsettling. Like so, like instinctually as a human, like you see a crying baby al- completely alone on a beach. Like there is absolutely At no night. human on earth that would just walk mm-hmm. past a baby like that. Mm-hmm. And just seeing that on camera, him do it is like so mm-hmm. unsettling. So. That's all you need. And I think, like, the Levia score is accompanying. I'll go ahead with mine uh, being the chocolate cake.
interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. I hear people complain about it, but I like it also. Yeah, it's great. I, you know, there's, it's, it's like, this is almost giving chocolate to an animal a little bit. It's just their, their body is completely rejecting, uh, whatever ingredients they can't handle. And even like in a spot as mundane as like that bread and breakfast, bed and breakfast, it's just like, you can't get much more like unsexy, uncool than that whole part. Right. You know, um, I think like even the score drops out of that part mm-hmm. where it's like, this really is someone who is like escaping her whole role in the universe at this point and just giving in to humanity's pleasures. Um, so. My favorite scene has always been the part where she goes and takes the new skin where it looks like a combination of Ingmar Bergman's like persona with like 2001 mm. space odyssey where it's monochromatic and she's standing there. I like the symmetry of her standing over the other person and, and holding the bug and uh, kind of the yeah, clothing ants. switch yeah. is interesting too. Um, and how it projects that over like space and time and, well, like going from like an iris into into that, that was interesting. Uh, always been interesting. The One that stood out to me most this time that I usually don't really key into is the the one with her kind of huddled over with the foreground of her in that position while the background's like the wilderness and the trees. 
just yeah. a gorgeous shot that I have never really thought about, but mm. it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I do think like the look of Laura has, or, or maybe not like right now, but like the movie and what we're saying in its longevity, it'll take on a life of its own as like its iconography is going to become very famous. Like with the black hair and the fur coat and stuff. I don't know if I would say it's like iconic, but her look in this movie definitely like stands out. Like you said, yeah, the black hair. For sure. I was going to say something to it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I like I like that part as well that I forgot to mention earlier. Like how she's like corralled into the nightclub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone yeah. just like assumes she's a part of the, a part of the group. Um, cause like once you've blended in enough, like people will, won't question anything about you and start to, yeah, like you will just be accepted without having to do a whole lot and, uh, says a lot about humanity. Yeah. Under the skin says a lot about humanity. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. It says a lot sure about does. humanity and, uh, becoming human and studying us, you know? Absolutely. Aliens are real, right? They've got to be. They've got to be real. I, I don't know. Definitely this, real. Yeah, like this is no. Like we don't have to confirm anything. But we can we confirm? I mean, yeah, so seriously, like it's about time. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah, this is great to have you. Um thank you for bringing this one to us. This was Yeah, this was great to revisit. Where can yeah, everybody find I'm... you if they anything to promote or plug? <laughs> Uh, I'll be on thetwingeeks.com and at thetwingeeks on Twitter. Um, I have a bunch of podcasts there. I have the Twin Geeks podcast, Ranking the Monsters, um, uh, a show about kaiju and ranking all the Godzilla films. I have uh, plenty of shows on that website. Uh, Don't Let the Modern Cast Get You about the uh, indie film collective Modern Media, which is a lot of fun. That's our newest show. Uh, So check the site out and yeah, find me on Twitter at Calvin Kempf as well. Do you have a big take about the 2014 Godzilla? We will. We'll, we'll build up <laughs> to it. We have to go through every other Godzilla first. So. Mm. I, yeah. I do, though. Yes. I yeah. I like Gareth Edwards uh, more than most people, I think. So I'm more favorable towards that one. Yeah. He's finally making a movie fully. again. I'm so Yeah, excited. I heard. Yeah, yeah our time. boy's back. And if you guys <laughs> would have me again, I'd love to come back. Love your show. I'm a listener as well, so. Oh, Thank awesome. You Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Godzilla, I think 2014's Godzilla is a really interesting one. So, like, yeah, that one's on the table if you ever want to. Oh, yeah. I, I'm down for it. Yeah. Let's yeah. go right now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> round two. Round two. Hello and welcome to it. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I'll be here. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Um, my writing on film is on The Boston Hassle and my own personal medium. Uh, this movie is, like we mentioned before, on Canopy, Hoopla, and Showtime for me. Is that the same with you guys? Or Yeah, else? that's where I was yeah. seeing it. Yeah. Well, I, I have it on disc, but... Nice. Yeah. I should get it on disc. I'm sure it's like pretty inexpensive now. There's like no features on it, which is kind of a shame, but... Oh, that's right. They're very small, like two-minute featurettes. There's, there's nothing of value other than the movie itself, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. I wish there were a bigger release with, with some real content. Uh, it would be a perfect Criterion movie or something. Like, I could see that being the thing that establishes it eventually is 
We yeah. need like a, a prestige release of this. Mm, like a reprisal. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Like, A24 has never done like anything too grand with their packaging. Like, no. Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to rack my brain, but. Um, no, they haven't. Yeah. Well, they had the Midsommar thing, which was a, the only oh, way yeah, to watch was, Hulk cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that's true. That was a little bit stupid. And but weird, that was but just was, them. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's the only strange thing they did, though. Um, and I wish that this could have a prestige release because I'd buy anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think once once it does, I think like then we'll get like more special features in like a decade. You know, I, but it's a matter of <laughs> but, but then again, it's like, I, we say a decade, and it's like, well, that's not very far away. <laughs> right. No. Yeah, it's very, very crazy. Anyway, yeah, uh, next episode will be Jackass 3D with Kevin Montez. Um, oh, yeah. 2010's seminal work. <laughs> I also uh, have a yeah. podcast with Kevin Montez <laughs> called uh, uh, oh. Five Letters and Three Mics, which is a rap podcast. So. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like fun. Sounds like a blast. But no, like it's, good, it's yeah. dude, that'll be pretty fun. Like I've never, I'm gonna be watching all those Jackass movies. I've never seen those. That's um, so fun. Yeah, I only just recently learned what Jackass was um, <laughs> over last year because it got uh, pushed back a bunch. Um, but now that it's released, uh, in four a few weeks comes now, out. Yeah. yeah, soon. Forever. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at T Money Talks. Um Calvin and I actually got a piece going out soon on the Twin Geeks where we'll be talking about some of our favorite T V from last year. Um, big T V watchers. Uh spoiler alert, succession will be on there. Uh, Will Yellow Jackets buzz buzz? Next year, maybe. Yeah. Just after our cut. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Oh, because the cut of, yeah. But, uh. Count it it anyway. I'm going to start it tonight. Yellow Jackets rules, so watch that. (laughs) Sounds fucking cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um. But yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to Jackass. I, um, saw 3D in theater when it came out. Never seen the first two, so excited to. to Have you seen the CKYs? I have not. Um, It's like the start of Jackass, just as like dumb like skating videos with some pranks in them. But that's like Bam Margera's label for his brother's band. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's it's pretty wild. But once you know, I think the genius of Jackass was putting like a bow in a package on that and like reselling it as, like, a interesting reality documentary hybrid. I think, like, the packaging of Jackass is its real genius. So I can't wait to listen to you guys on it. Yeah, awesome. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, excited for all that. And uh, we will catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at ETTpod. You can follow us on Instagram at Exiting2010s. You can email us at ExitingThroughThe2010s at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm